sorry, someone was helping me develop my thinking, go deeper in my meaning behind what was going on for me and what my path forward could be. I was at a point where I was the victim in my story. In even though we're going through some really tough situations, I couldn't look outside of it. I couldn't look beyond it. And I was stuck in it thinking, this is it. This is all I've got. And so by having external support, it helped me realize, no, there is more. There is more that I can do. And it put me back in a position of choice, which is, you know, a really huge point because once you have choice, that's where your freedom is to be able to move forward. You're no longer stuck in your story. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials. Here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week we have a beautiful, phenomenal, exceptional soul. Juliet Dyer is a leadership and life coach who specializes in transformational development through value clarity, behavioral change, and emotional resilience and intelligence. She works with individuals, teams, and leadership groups across Australia who are seeking holistic yet highly effective coaching to eliminate stress and overwhelm, let go of the self-criticism and self-doubt, and to grow and succeed. Her approach, while slightly left of field and non-traditional, just quite simply gets results. She is a ICF certified professional coach, qualified kinesiologist, master NLP practitioner and timeline therapy practitioner, master hypnotherapist. She has trained in acceptance and commitment therapy, is a qualified emotional intelligence coach, as well as a health and lifestyle educator. And she is the founding director of the Revitalized Center in Melbourne. This beautiful soul uses a mix of methodologies. She sees each person as an individual and changes her approach based on what that person or that team requires. And when she's not working with incredible people, you'll find her out in nature with her beautiful family. Today, we decided that our focus would be all around emotional intelligence. And when you think about what that is, it is the capacity to be aware of, control, and express one's emotions, and to handle interpersonal relationships judiciously and empathetically. Emotional intelligence is the key to both personal and professional success, which is why I know you are going to love today's podcast interview. This beautiful soul helps us to understand the importance of what it means to be truly emotionally intelligent. I cannot wait to hear your thoughts and feedback. Please make sure you head on over to my Instagram page, Kim Morrison 28, Facebook, Kim Morrison Training, or you can head on over to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. Please share this interview with anyone you think could do with a real boost in what it means to be emotionally intelligent, but also if you think that they're looking for a way to improve their own beliefs of self, their own worthiness, and their own ability to truly know how incredible they really are. I cannot wait to hear your thoughts and comments. Thank you for your five-star rating. It means the world. And now I bring to you the beautiful Juliet Dyer. 
Well, as you can tell, a little bit excited this week, not only because I know this woman so beautifully well, I adore her work, and we've had the privilege of having her on the show already, number 119, if you want to go back and listen to more of her story. But beautiful Juliet Dyer and I have been speaking, and we thought this week it would be really cool to give a focus all around the powers, the mystery, the understanding of emotional intelligence. So welcome to the show, beautiful Juliet Dyer. Thank you so much for having me, Kim. Well, we can never have enough time to chat and catch up. We have a huge love and respect for each other. We absolutely adore the work that we do and helping to make a difference in people's lives. But I particularly love the way you approach people's self-worth, people's belief, people's ability to get out of their sabotaging thoughts and behaviors, and more importantly, how to tap into and understand this thing called emotional intelligence. Maybe you could just give us a little brief background as to what led you into this work and then describe to us your interpretation of emotional intelligence. Yeah. All righty. So as we've spoken about previously, Both my children and my husband have all got heart conditions and we went through quite a big period where we went through a lot of surgeries, a lot of heart-related issues. Um, And during that time, I was very strong for all of my family. I was there for all of them, but it was afterwards that I kind of collapsed and I had my bathroom floor moment where it was all overwhelming for me. It was too much. I'd lost, I'd lost a sense of who I was and I'd lost my direction. And so it made me really reflect on my life and go, well, what is it that I want to do? How do I want to live my life moving forward? And as you know, it was during your program that I decided I wanted to move forward into kinesiology because that was one of the modalities that had helped my son Tyson through part of his health journey. And while I was focusing on kinesiology, my my true love was emotions. I was always taking an emotional element towards what we're doing because I felt like my time with my kids and their heart issues and my husband, I had been this massive emotional being. In tears one moment, strong the next moment, just I'd gone through the whole mixed bag of emotions. And I didn't really know what to do with them back then. I wasn't educated. Um, I was very down on myself um, saying, you know, the kind of self-talk I had back then was you don't have a right to be this sad about this. You don't have a right to feel this because you're not the one who went through the health issues. And so I didn't actually acknowledge my own emotions. I just pushed them away. I didn't acknowledge the grief that I'd gone through. I just pushed it away thinking I didn't have a right to feel it. And so that's what really stemmed this love of emotions for me because I had to live through the experience of learning to manage my emotions, learning to understand what they meant, learning why they were there and then what I could do with them. And so I really moved from sort of a reactive to a more responsive pathway when it came to emotions. And that's what I'm really passionate about now. So from kinesiology, I then moved into what I found with kinesiology was that it brought up great amounts of awareness for people. So they got an understanding as to why something was happening Um, and awareness is great, but my philosophy is that awareness is nothing without action and it was the action piece that people weren't really knowing what to do. So they knew why something was happening, but then they didn't know what to do to change it. 
Um, and so that's where I then went and kept studying and doing my coaching certification, my NLP and hypnotherapy and timeline therapy certifications, doing my emotional intelligence training, strengths coach training, you name it. And I went out and did it. Um, and so the real passion is, is to get a real understanding of the awareness of something, but then being able to move that forward to create real change in your life, you have to take action. I grew up with my dad always saying to me, do something and something will happen, do nothing and nothing will happen. So that old philosophy that my dad used to always say is really what I base a lot of my coaching on now. As you think about the influence of people like your dad, of comments like that, of knowing the truth of what you've been through yourself, you said there was a bathroom floor moment. You said there was a time when all of a sudden you had to look at your own self. Is that a moment that comes to everybody in your opinion? Or is it that you were in a certain state that opened you to actually have and give yourself permission to really look at why you were in that state on that bathroom floor? Is it an upbringing thing like your dad or is it something that you just hit rock bottom? I'd love to help the listener to appreciate when that moment can occur if you think there is a certain process to it. Great question. So I think for me, just collecting my thoughts here, (laughs) what happened with me back then, and I'll just talk through my personal experience because part of my coaching approach is looking at everyone individually. So I believe that everyone has a different experience moving forward in life and it's based on, yes, our our upbringing and the different sort of experiences we've had in life and our values. But for me personally, um, I had reached a moment where I was excessively unhappy and I couldn't figure out why because I had everything going for me in my life. And it was a wanting of more in life, but then also having to take an absolute bucket load of courage to be able to take that change because there was lots of questions from lots of people of why are you changing your life, why are you doing this? Um, There was a lot of you're going to make a mistake, you're never going to make the same kind of income. Um, All the self-doubt voices I had in my head, I was hearing from people outside of me too. So I think that a big piece of it, I had to reach that point within myself where I was so unhappy that I knew that something had to change. And I think that's where my dad's philosophy came in is do something and something will happen, do nothing and nothing will happen. So I could have chosen to live the life that I was living and I probably would have been perfectly okay, but I wouldn't have had an inner sense of fulfillment. And it was that inner sense of fulfillment that I was looking for. So there is a level of happiness that people can kind of just coast through their life with and that's okay. But I think that when you start to wake up a little bit, And when you start to realise that there can be more and you don't need to live by the shoulds of society, you suddenly go, okay, I can do this. And you start searching and that's what happened with me. 
I think it's a really good point actually right here that everybody's moment or breakthrough or bathroom floor or crisis point, whatever we want to call it, it's not happening to you, but for you. If you choose to look at those moments as an opportunity to look more within or to find the right people for support or to actually question and get curious about why and where you're at. Juliet, that's really hard when you're at the bottom of the bottom, when you're feeling like the world's against you or that Mm. everything's fallen apart. Is it a case of just breathing through that moment to get to that point to make the change? Like it's that real critical point I'm looking for from your perspective as a coach and an emotional intelligence person. So I think the biggest thing for me was that I didn't do it alone. I'd already put people around me that supported me through it. I was seeking support. So I think that's a really big component of it. And that's why I feel so blessed to be able to support my clients through their journeys. Um, But for me personally, it was, I was helping someone, oh, sorry, someone was helping me develop my thinking, go deeper in my meaning behind what was going on for me and what my path forward could be. I was at a point where I was the victim in my story. In even though we're going through some really tough situations, I couldn't look outside of it. I couldn't look beyond it. And I was stuck in it thinking, this is it. This is all I've got. And so by having external support, it helped me realize, no, there is more. There is more that I can do. And it put me back in a position of choice, which is, you know, a really huge point because once you have choice, That's where your freedom is, to be able to move forward. You're no longer stuck in your story. And for many of us, that story can be told so many times, we actually start living it as a truth rather than a perspective. So if someone has a story that life's not fair, it's been tough, I've got all these problems, uh, no one understands me, I feel so alone, this is a very typical part that we all probably feel to some extent, that breath by breath, moment by moment choice that we can see and know that we will get through this, what would you say is the first steps? Can you talk us through then what it means to actually get that support? How do we find? Where do we go? What do you think is the right approach? There are so many modalities, or is that too an individual choice? Um. I'm kind of laughing because I had this exact discussion with someone uh, only two days ago, just with the amount of choice that's out there. And I think part of it comes back to um, what I talk to my clients about and what I help build them is their emotional intelligence, that gut instinct. That's part of your emotional intelligence is being able to tune in to what's right for you. So really following that, um, that inner knowing. There is so much confusion out there. And so what I always recommend is, number one, when you're you're finding someone to work with, the relationship that you have with that person is extremely important. If you can't be vulnerable with that person, if you can't open up to them, if you can't trust them, if you don't feel like you can be yourself or you feel like you're going to be judged, they're not the right person for you and automatically you say no and you walk away. So the relationship that you have with someone who's going to support you on this journey is Um, probably the most important thing to begin with. The second thing is not holding back. (laughs) So it's quite interesting how many people 
don't validate their story. So they don't think that it's worth telling you about something. And I'm I'm not so much about going into the past. I'm very much about moving forward, but sometimes we need to explore the past so that we can let things go so that we can move forward. And so, you know, I didn't validate my own experience and it took me years to realise that I didn't validate my experience and what I'd gone through. So a really big part is acknowledging, yes, life's hard at the moment. Yes, um, I am going through something and it's okay. I'm going off track, Kim. So <laughs> what were we talking about? No, it was about? so powerful. I think yeah. this is so important. The two two big steps I've just taken from that, you said the relationship is extremely important, exactly who we can go to to get that support. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, you know, around the choice, there's so many different modalities, yeah. therapists, coaches, and things like that. So the relationship doesn't mean the first one or the second one, or even the third one is going to be the right one, but don't give up on that because the right one is there for you. That's yeah. what I took. And the second thing was don't hold back. I, I want I really want to go into with that. I really appreciate it because so many undervalue what their feelings are, like you, where you thought everyone else's problems were way bigger than yours, therefore it wasn't validated. But your experience is your experience. And based on your past and based on what you want to do in the world, it can either set you up or break you up with who it is you want to be in this world. So I'm curious from your point of view, if the relationship's good, I would imagine what you're saying then, that therapist, that coach, that supportive person is going to know exactly how to help you to be vulnerable and open and to validate your story. Is that what you do for people? It is. I think I want to go back to what you said about the person valuing themselves so that they validate their story. It's not so much me going, yeah, I hear you. It's it's empowering the person to hear their own story and be able to go, yes, I'm worthy of this. But then that's the first level of emotional intelligence. So one of the one of the models I work with, you're looking at um you know, there's three levels. There's the attitude level, the feeling level, and the behavior level. The attitude level is all about your mindset, but what it's really about is regard for yourself and regard for others. So it's how you value yourself and how you value other people as the human being. So not the human doing, not their actions, but who they are as a person. And that's that is the foundation of working with someone because it's that that regard for self, if they don't regard themselves, if they don't um, think highly of themselves, if they don't have self-respect, if they've got low self-esteem, low confidence, um, low self-belief, all of that, that's the starting point. And that's where a lot of the self-love techniques come in. That's where a lot of the self-care techniques come in. That's where I teach clients how to bring compassion into their life, self-compassion, because often they're very compassionate towards other people but not towards themselves. And one of the questions I ask a lot of my clients when they're stuck there and I can hear them being mean to themselves or not knowing how to help themselves, it's, well, what would you tell a friend? Because quite often where when it comes to supporting a friend, we get great advice or we really, but when it comes to supporting ourselves, we don't listen to that same advice. So it's a way to learn how to how to look inwards for your own answers because you have them in there. You're just not used to listening to them. So attitude's the foundation. If mm-hmm. attitude is the ability for us to truly regard ourselves and others, that's the platform, the base, the foundation. 
Can you talk to us then into the feelings? And then, of course, what that creates is our behaviors and how we can adjust, modify, or even change those behaviors. Yeah. Okay. So there's lots of parts in there. The first one is, is we're looking at our feelings. So we're looking at our our awareness of self and our awareness of others. That's the middle layer. And then the next level from that's your behavior. So it's your self-management and how you manage relationships with others. But before we do all of that and even look at that, what we've really got to look at is our feeling, thinking, and our doing. So if you can imagine that as a triangle, an upside-down triangle, where on one corner you've got your feeling component, on the next corner you've got your thinking component, and then pointing down you've got your doing. EI integrates all three components. It's all about um, thinking to feel and feeling to think so that you can then make an informed decision about your doing, what your action might be. We might naturally sit in one of those um, corners of the triangle. So some people naturally sit in feeling um, and they will go from their heart space straight into action, but they've ignored the thinking component. Some people will sit only in their head and um, go from their head straight into doing. So they haven't taken into into account what their feelings are or other people's feelings. And some people need to get really busy and they're just going to doing. So they haven't thought about what they're doing and they haven't um, reached into their emotional self. And so what emotional intelligence is about is it's about learning how to tap into your feeling, your thinking, and then your doing. To take that that pause. Is it in that order? Or is there a particular way that you do it? No, or does so it not matter? Generally, it's feeling to think and thinking to feel, or thinking to feel and feeling to think. It's those two components first, right? And when we're talking about feeling, we're looking at there's three states for feeling. There's your psychological, so your hunger, your thirst, your nausea. There's the emotional component, so um, you know, anger, fear, happiness, pride, guilt. And then there's that intuitive thing that we spoke about before, the gut feeling, the inner knowing. When we're talking about thinking, it's actually pausing to flip into our our, um, prefrontal cortex to actually think about what we want to do before we do the doing. So we've thought about it. We've been considered about what our action will be. And that's how we go from being reactive to being responsive because we're pausing. And we're considering all parts of the triangle before we move into action for something. Is it done quickly? Is it done in a matter of time? Does it take practice? It takes a lot of practice. (laughs) I was so glad you said that. (laughs) So much practice. And you're going to fall off the bike a hundred times and that's okay. And you're going to have so many people give you practice. (laughs) (laughs) So many, so many. But that's the whole thing, right? When you. One one of the foundations that emotional intelligence is built on, one of the attitudes is I'm okay, you're okay. And so what that attitude is representing is that you're, what you're saying is I'm not going to judge myself for any, and I'm not going to judge you. And when you start saying that you're not okay, you're judging yourself. So say you you stuff up and you make a mistake and you're like, oh, I'm such an idiot for making that mistake. I can't believe I did that. What you're saying is that you're not okay. And so automatically you're defying one of the attitudes of emotional intelligence, which is I'm okay, you're okay. And so it's learning to pick up on 
those, you know, attitudes happen at an unconscious level. They happen within seconds. So what we want to do is we want to learn to stop before we react to something so that we can really work out, well, what's going on in our mind? Let's do an example. Let's think about this. What's Mm -hmm. a classic, typical, everyday thing or a common thing that you see as a great theme that happens throughout people's lives where the same thing happens where they're constantly reacting, not responding? Do you have an example for us and how, how can we see ourselves in this? I'm going to use an example of the situation is going to be that they've been criticised. So they've either been criticised at work, at home by one of their children or um, by someone they love, right? They've been criticised. So that's the situation. The attitude that comes up is I'm not good enough, I'm incompetent, um, and that's that unconscious thought that's driving them their feelings and emotions, which would feel failure, deflated. Um, The thoughts then that might happen is, why should I bother? And then that can lead to the behaviour of, well, they withdraw. They don't put themselves out there anymore. And then the outcome is, is they're not, um, they're losing their self-belief. So the more that this cycle happens, so someone says, I know that was crap dinner or um, you're no good at that mum or whatever it might be or there's a piece of work that you've submitted at, you know, and it has to be reviewed. Whatever it might be, it's when you receive that feedback and you take it as criticism, that's when you start the cycle of I'm not good enough, you start withdrawing and you don't put yourself out there anymore. So in a practical case, the way that you'd get through this is Say you receive that feedback and instead of going straight into that cycle, it's learning to take a breath, it's learning to pause. So you might put a support pillar in place, which is, say, for example, a bracelet. So every time you see that bracelet, that's your reminder, I'm doing something new. I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to start paying attention to what my thoughts are telling me. It's just that thing that's going to make you pause and stop. And as soon as you stop, you're flipping from your emotional brain where there's no new thoughts straight into your thinking brain. So you've felt the emotion. Let's get back to that triangle, right? (laughs) You've got the feeling in there. You're not feeling good about yourself. It's brought in some self-doubt because someone's criticised you. But instead of going straight to your behaviour or your doing, which is withdrawing, what we're doing is we're stopping to think. And so instead of thinking, I'm not worthy, I'm a failure, instead what we're going to think of is, well, I've got this, I can do this, that's just their opinion. Or is what they say true? Do I need to work on this area? Am I a bad cook? Did I burn the dinner? (laughs) Just just it's a really bad example, but you know what I mean? Um, Is there room for growth here? But what you're doing is by by going by stopping yourself going from feeling straight into the withdrawing, you're going feeling to thinking, you're getting curious. Is there something that I can do differently? Do I believe what this person's saying? Am I placing value on what they're saying? Or do I think I'm doing okay? And then you can make your informed decision about what you do with that. 
Julie, I want to know from your perspective and all the things you've been through, these are really powerful ways. They give us a pathway, an avenue or a step-by-step process to actually analyze ourselves and our behavior. Is Is there anything that you've learned now that you're this far down the track experienced with it? And I know it's taken practice and a lot of work and money and time and effort for you to learn. Is there a fast track way to get there? Like, are you just saying, so we've got the triangle, instead of going into doing, let's feel it, let's think it, let's refeel how we feel when we think about it properly and then respond. I'm assuming with you at this point now, that's nanoseconds as opposed to people (laughs) that are just learning this, that it's like, oh, geez, I mucked that up or I've got to try again or I'm clunky. We feel clunky when we're doing something new. Yeah, absolutely. Is there a fast track way that you've learned now? The fastest way to build and to grow is through reflection. So bringing in a reflective practice. And so I'm at a position now where I reflect throughout the day. If I feel something or notice something within my body, it's instantaneous. I've already thought about it and I've come to a decision about what I'm going to do to move forward or if it's a potential growth area or whatever it might be. But when I started this journey, it was through journaling. So I would reflect on my day and go, um, how was my day? What went well today? What went wrong today? Where is there room for improvement? And that was a part of where I could sort of look at my day and go, was there growth opportunities? Was there areas that I missed for um, how I behaved to something? Um, Did I ignore the feeling I had in my tummy when someone said something to me? Um, Because that that feeling would have been an opportunity for me to learn something about myself in the situation. So I would always look back and reflect on my day going, did I miss a learning opportunity or did I nail a learning opportunity? What did I do really well that day that enhanced this path that I'm going on? Um, And reflection's not about ruminating. So ruminating is when we go over and over and over something and we're just going down, down this rabbit hole of, um, beating ourselves up, right? We're replaying a situation and, oh, I should have said that, oh, I should have done that. There's no room for that because then there's no there's no compassion. That's what I spoke about right before, right? This is all about bringing in self-compassion, being kind to yourself, showing yourself love. Ruminating does not show yourself love. It's being really mean to yourself. So reflection is different because reflection is looking for um, taking an outside look at a situation going, okay, well, how did I show up in that moment? Am I proud of how I showed up? Yes or no? If it's a yes, unreal, high five, how do I redo that next time? If it's a no, it's like, okay, well, where is there room for growth here? What was it about the situation? What was that trigger? What was the attitude or thoughts that were in my head? What was I feeling? How do I want to show up differently next time? And then how will I remember to do that in that next moment? And so that's the continual journey. That's continual practice because we get lots of practice with different people and situations throughout our life. Absolutely. I'm curious. I just wrote that down. Reflection is different and I really appreciate it because it actually allows us to look. And I love it. I love all of this. But the reality is there's a lot of people, perhaps we're even married to these people, perhaps they're our children, perhaps they're relatives, and they're not interested in learning this work. They don't want to know that it's like too big, too hard, or they're too stressed, or they're too overwhelmed. It's ridiculous because we're in those situations. That's when we need to know this the most. 
And yet for many of us, it's when we're in the throes of conflict, despair, challenge, whatever it is, it's very hard to think with a logical way or to see a way out. Is that where you're talking about, um, you know, taking a break or pausing? Is that, like, can you talk to us a little bit more about the pause? Because I think that's quite critical as far as giving your mind, heart, body, and soul that break to actually reflect on what we're doing. Yeah. So the pausing is critical because it's that moment where you take a breath. It's that moment that's going to allow you to, calm your nervous system down, right? And what it will do is all you need is a couple of seconds to be able to flip. That's all it takes to be able to go to start to bring that logical thought back in. So it might mean even if you are highly emotional and you've been triggered, it might be if you're in your middle of an argument with someone or something's frustrating you and you don't want to respond, you give yourself room. So it might be give me a minute and you go and get a glass of water and you drink a glass of water. Or it might be I'm so emotional right now, I can't talk to you. Let's bring this up later. So it's acknowledging the fact that you are emotional and that's okay, especially if you're talking to teenagers, right? Um, there have been moments where I've been really emotional or reactive with my kids and I've had to walk away and then I've had to go back and go, I'm really sorry, I was triggered. I, that's my opinion that I was trying to put on you. Let's sit down and talk about it rationally because when there is high emotion, there is low intelligence. You do not think rationally. You don't have the capability to think rationally. So <laughs> it's about giving yourself those moments to pause. So if you're in a meeting at work and you're feeling attacked, It's just like a great response. That's interesting. I went that off a great lady. (laughs) Um, But you know, they're they're the kind of things. If you can, if you can have some little sayings or some little habits that you can bring into your day to give yourself that moment to pause, it will make a massive, massive difference to your life. I think that is probably the most profound thing to hear because most of us, as you said, when we're highly emotional or in Gottman terms, we're flooded. We've got all of these hormones and this energy running through us. It is very hard to think clearly. Add a layer to that if we're in shock or in trauma or there's something critical going on. It is, this is where the power of humans are so beautiful that to have good people in your corner. And I just want to give an example. girlfriend Cindy and I, when we're having a highly emotional moment, which I'm pleased to say doesn't happen all the time these days, but I will ring and say that our line is, I'm a level one soul right now and I need some help. Can you coach me? And I've done it with Danny. I've even done it with my children. I'm really not thinking clearly, can you please coach me to see it differently? Or can you give me your insight so I can hear this in a different way? Because I'm not hearing it or feeling it. And what's beautiful about those moments that we've created these rituals is I can now bleat. I can now get it off my chest, say it how I feel. And often in hearing it and feeling me say it, I can see that I'm not being very logical. I'm not being very practical, but it is so nice to not have anyone interrupt you as you offload. Then when I finished the line to the other person is, are you done? And I'll be like, yes, I've said everything. And then they'll give me their insight but with love. 
And I think that's the beauty of friends if they understand this work or family members. But what I love about the work you do is it is so compassionate, profound, and insightful that you actually help people to change that neural patterning. So it's not just a friend. It's not just someone we offload to, but you actually teach people to change the patterning. And I think with all the modalities you've used, you find, do you find a way that you bring in these different modalities? Is there things outside of kinesiology and the emotional intelligence work that you've used? I know you use crystals and oils and things yeah. like that. How do you help other people through that when you have such insight and can see such clarity on their behalf? I think the biggest thing I teach people, one of the biggest things I use with my clients is timeline therapy. And timeline therapy in itself, when when people go through that process, is they learn how to become the observer, which means they learn how to disassociate themselves from their emotions so they can take a... um, a really objective view of the situation and reflect on it. And that's the really important part because then not with my clients, I'm all about educating them. So, you know, I know I've done a really great job with a client when they don't need to come back in. That's when I'm high-fiving, right? And it might just be that, and with a lot of clients now, what ends up happening is I might not hear from them for six months. They might just come in for one random session because they need some help with it. And I call myself then a thinking partner because they need help with their decision-making process. So people, when I work with my clients, it's about educating them about how to be their best self. I'm all about betterment striving to be the best version of you because when you're the best version of you it impacts everyone around you let's talk a little bit about timeline therapy because this Mm -hmm. is something that some people feel it's more regression based or we have to dig up the past or we have to relive experiences you and I both have a real love for this in your words what do you think or how would you explain to someone who's never heard of it or maybe wants to know a little bit more about it what is timeline therapy? Okay. I love timeline. I use timeline therapy with my corporate clients. I use timeline therapy with my private clients. It is something that if someone has a willingness to bring it in and they have an imagination, I will bring it in. So what is timeline therapy? Essentially, it's about trusting your unconscious mind to be able to bring up an image or some sort of an event or situation where you first felt an emotion. And what it's doing is it's releasing the reactivity that you have to that event that's today still creating an impact on you. So you're letting go of that reactive past so that you're drawing the line in the sand so that you're free today to show up in any way you want without having any strings to your past. And so timeline is not about going back and exploring past events. It's nothing like that. All it is is I'll ask you a question and that question will be um, if you were to know what was the root cause of this emotion the very first time when you experienced this emotion, right? And the person, and I'm like just trusting your unconscious mind, was it before, during or after your birth? And they don't even have time to think because I don't want them to think. I want them to have an automatic response and just trust that response and trust that something's going to come up. And the thing is, is like people will often just go, yep, okay, I was five years old. 
And then they're like, but I don't remember being five. And I'm like, that's okay. Just trust the process. See what happens. See what comes up for you. And so then we get them to travel up and go back into their past and look at their this past event and explore it. And some people are like, nothing's coming up. And I'm like, that's okay. It doesn't have to. But what are you feeling? What's coming? What knowledge is coming to you? Or um, what are you hearing? Or for some, what are you seeing? I know personally, I've just been over a black hole and I sometimes see nothing in my timeline. But it's not about that. It's about a learning. And it's through this learning that you're able to let go of the attachment that you've had to this emotion so that you can move forward with the knowledge. And it's that knowledge piece, it's that education piece that's going to help you today make a difference in your life. I want to share with you, Juliet, my, I trained in NLP at 23 and never thought I used it or never really understood how to use it as a therapy because I didn't want to be a coach. I didn't think I had enough experience. Years later, I've been, you know, starting to bring it in. In fact, it's just amazing how many people need it. But this particular day, my daughter was home. She would have been about 21, 22. And I said to her, can I just practice some timeline? Is there an emotion or something that you feel is holding you back? She said, fear. It comes up all the time, mum. I'm fearful I'm not good enough or fear I'm not going to make the right decision all this. And I said, do you mind if we have a little play with this? So I was thinking, wow, she hasn't seemed fearful. She always seems so brave and bold and courageous and all she does. But there's this under, she does seem to it or has had in the past, these anxiety under underlying that there's a bit of anxiety. So anyway, got her to go back, close her eyes, relax. And we went right back. And I said to the first time you can remember fear, was it before, during or post-birth? She goes, I was in utero, this is her with her eyes closed, in utero, 11 and a half weeks. Now I've just gone, okay, so I start writing and then I go up into what we call the release position. So before the event, well before it, so we can look down on the event and what can we learn from it knowing we've survived it. So she was going through all these amazing learnings that she's got this, she's incredible, she can do what she likes. Um, Fear is a good reminder of how important it is to you. She just said all these incredible learnings. Then I got her to come back and take all those learnings on all the events throughout her life. And the unconscious mind does it so freaking quickly because it's so wrapped you've said hello. It's so wrapped that you're there, right? Well, that night I got into bed, Juliet, and I just sat bolt upright and I looked at Danny and I went, oh my gosh, do you remember when I was pregnant with Taylor? I was 11 and a half weeks when I started bleeding. I honestly thought I was losing my baby. I was frightened as anything. I was, I was flooded with fear that I was losing her. And the reason why I remember it was 11 and a half weeks was because Danny is a cricketer and we'd subscribed or we'd agreed to doing a story with Woman's Day and the story was going to hit the shelves at 12 weeks. So we didn't want the story out until then. That's what blew me away. And so I'm curious to ask you if you feel the same, that we can also carry our parents or our mother's fears and grief. It could be past generations. It could be past lives if people are into that. Like it's it's fascinating. Sometimes the the emotions we carry aren't necessarily ours, but we've made them unconsciously ours and they affect us. Is that been your experience as well with this work? 
It has been, and I think it depends too on where someone is on their journey. So they might clear or start to clear this lifetime's emotions because not everyone is into past lives and that's okay or past regressions or stuff like that. But, yeah, it does. It can be It can be generational. It can be something that's passed down. Um, but at the same level, I work with a lot of clients that, that don't have a strong belief in that type of um, ideas or, you know, like it's not something that they've ever thought about. This is a whole new concept to them. And so I, what I do with, with clients that are very weary of this kind of process is what we look at is this lifetime. We look at what's happened to them and we may not even go back to birth. It might be at work a week ago, two weeks ago. But what it's doing is it's easing them into the process to get an understanding of how their emotions are impacting their behaviours and when how, you know, their life can be different moving forward. So Taylor wouldn't have felt um, the anxiety moving forward or the fear, right? So it's the same with someone that experiences a lot of um, anger. So they might have been able to look at, Think of a past event and go red in the face and their blood pressure's rising and they're sweating because they're still angry about it today. But once they've gone through timeline therapy, you get them to think of that same memory and it's like, huh, that's weird. I know that it happened. I know that I was angry, but I'm not feeling angry. And that's what the beauty of timeline therapy is. And so once they experience that in this lifetime, so in the here and now in their present life, then you can start moving back. So I feel like there's steps to it depending on where someone is on their journey and depending where someone is on their belief system. And then that's how I, that's where I mean everyone's different. Everyone's unique with what they, so it's about adapting to what's right for whoever's sitting in front of you. You're right, actually. And then the beauty of there is no right or wrong. You don't have to be compared to anyone else. Your story is your story. Your beliefs are your beliefs. The interesting thing I find about this, and I'd love your insight. I'm going to say a statement, and I'd just love you to tell me what you think when you hear it. Okay. Nothing is true. Well, it's true to you. Yeah. I, yeah. Your truth is different to my truth. What you believe to be true is true to you and what I believe to be true is true to me. <laughs> Which means there's no truth because it's just my perception of what I believe to be true and that's your perception. This is where I love this work. Yep. It's like nothing is really true. It's just a perception we have on what we think is true. So I'm curious to know then from where you sit and who you are and all your experiences, has there been any major impact in helping you to appreciate that your way is not the only way and it's not the only view of the world. And actually there might not just be one other perspective. There could be a hundred different perspectives on this one situation or significant emotional event or crisis or challenge or whatever. So if we all have such different perspectives or if everyone has their own idea of what truth is, how the hell do we humans get along in the first place? Because we remove judgment. So when when there's judgment on board, what we're saying is, well, no, you're you're wrong, I'm right. And you know, when 
there's an acceptance of people can believe what they want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe and that's okay. What we're doing is we're valuing people as human beings. We're right back to where we started at the beginning because it's, you know, in regard that self-regard, that, that basic level of emotional intelligence, the foundation um, is valuing yourself and valuing others for who they are. And that's the same with this belief system, right? So if I'm like, no, you're wrong, and I'm really passionate about that, so what I'm doing is I'm putting judgment on you based on my beliefs, based on my um, perception of the world. And that's not fair. (laughs) Do you think then understanding this work, being open to the possibility of trusting and believing there's always another way to view it or perhaps room for improvement or opportunity to grow. We are incredible beings. We have, when we bring compassion, empathy, maybe forgiveness or whatever those words are that we choose, we're actually freeing ourselves from the the grips of a so-called truth or belief that we thought was really real. I guess where I'm trying to say this, people hurt people. There is no doubt there are some horrible things that happen in the world. And some of us will have stories that other people couldn't believe has happened. But they do happen and they have happened. How does someone who's had to deal with abuse or pain or, you know, emotional trauma through losing someone they love, all of the things that do sadly happen in life, how do we become more emotionally intelligent? to actually allow ourselves to process, move through and grow through whatever it is we're faced with? So I think it's part of that that process, right, of understanding what your feelings mean to you, noticing what your feelings are, um, acknowledging them, paying them attention because stuff happens, right? So it's not about acknowledge, it's not about pushing it away. It's like, oh, I'm feeling something right now. I wonder what that means. And then the next step is giving it significance, validating it. It's okay to feel emotions. It's okay to be emotional. So it's acknowledging what that emotion is. It's acknowledging what that feeling is. And then it's about thinking about it. So I'm feeling scared maybe. I wonder what's causing it. Or I'm feeling happiness, oh, what's causing that one? Or I'm feeling fear, I wonder what's causing it. So you're bringing in curiosity and that's where the reflection comes in. And so then it might be, well, what is it within my, this situation here that's bringing back a past memory that's creating this trigger within me? Or what is it about this situation that I'm uncomfortable about? Is it what someone said to me? Is it how someone's behaving? Is it how they're looking at me? Is it how they're not looking at me? <laughs> I don't know, right? But it's that that piece of curiosity. So what you're doing is you're validating your own experience. You're validating your own feelings and you're being curious about them. So, yeah, we've gone through, some people have gone through some really tough and hard things in their life but then they get to decide what they do with that and how they move forward with it. And that's where when you learn these techniques, when you learn how to pause and stop and think, it gives you control back. It gives you that choice back that we spoke about before, right? 
because it's through that choice that you're able to then decide what you want to do with that feeling, that emotion, that thought, whatever it is that's come up for you. This is so powerful. I think as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking these are great questions as a parent, as a partner, as a work colleague. It's it's actually doing the same for others. So when someone reacts in a way that maybe is quite confrontational or whatever, it's actually a, allowing, or I'm, I'm just asking you if I'm doing this right, if I'm allowing them to have that feeling, but then get curious as to what they need or what they want or what they're trying to express. Because behind those behaviors is often their set of circumstances, beliefs, values, and attitudes. Yeah. And it's not actually about you in the first place. Could you help us from a parent, partner, work colleague point of view, how to do that when someone else is coming at us? Yeah. You've actually nailed it, Kimmy. It's the being curious piece. So the minute that you bring on your curiosity hat, you're not taking the stuff personally, right? It's when we're feeling attacked or taking things personally that we're like, oh, what have I done? Or that's, you know, what are they doing? Or why are they saying that? It's the why stuff, right? But it's the minute we're curious and we sit back and we go, huh, I wonder what's going on for them right now. We're disassociating from their emotion. We're not getting in their business. We're staying in our own lane. And our job's not to fix their emotion. Our job's not to fix anyone. We don't have the power to do that. So our job is to to be their supporter, to be their cheerleader, to be their thought provoker, to be that person who can help them through. You know, if there's someone that you love, that's the job you want to take on. And then that's that's a lot, that's um, not as emotionally heavy <laughs> than getting into their stuff. You know, we had a scenario the other night where we were talking as friends and this beautiful soul was really upset because her sister had posted something on social media and it was a judgment around same-sex marriage. This person's friend who is homosexual messaged her and said he was really offended by what her sister had said. This poor little poppet in the middle then went to her sister and said, you should be a little bit more careful about how you say things. Her reaction was, why? I can say what I want when I want. She then went back to her gay friend and said, oh, I don't think she meant it that way. And sometimes some of us play little miss or Mr. Fix It in the middle. How would you help that person in the middle stop being the middle person and coach them through two people's reactions? Okay. So that's a challenging situation that person's in. But at the end of the day, both the people around her have got the right to whatever opinion that they've got. And so that's where it's it's empathising, it's hearing them, it's validating. I can see how that would frustrate you. Yes, it frustrates me too, right? So it's the way, it's the language you use. It's not her job to go and tell her sister to pull something off. That's that's her trying to get in that other person's business, right? Whereas her job's to stay in her own lane. And it might be to her sister, wow, that post is getting some reactions from people. Are you aware that it's, you know, I've had some phone calls and it's, it's hurting some people. So that's being more informative than being more dictative about what they should and shouldn't do. And then for the friend that's come in who is offended about the post, it's like I can see how that would offend you. Yeah, that's upsetting that that's being put up there. It's validating their experience, but it's not her job to fix it. 
how many times do we all, and I'm guilty of it, I try and make it all okay and little miss fix it for everybody <laughs> until I step up. And I tell you, that middle person, it's exhausting yeah. because now you're trying to save everybody because you're trying to protect everybody, where in reality the person who was offended needs to ask why was I offended and the person who put the post up who then got defensive about being asked on it also needs to inquire over that. But the reality is we're a whole bunch of humans doing this thing called life, doing the best we can. I think what I've taken from you today more than anything is that it is a nonstop beautiful process to learn about ourselves, to actually get curious about where our thoughts, values, and beliefs have come from, to realize that we also have the ability to change our thoughts, values, and beliefs, and in turn, our behaviors. From your perspective then, as people go through a process, maybe you could talk us through. Let's say I've rung you and I'm in a bit of a crisis situation with my relationship, or maybe I don't feel good enough as a mom or whatever it is. I'm in a crisis situation and I've heard about Juliet Dyer and how she's going to help me to really understand myself more so that I don't blame or outwardly poke fingers, et cetera. Perhaps in your words, become more responsive than reactive. Tell us how you talk someone like me through that process. How do I find out more about you to actually learn I can do a better version of this? So were you wanting to know what I would say, how I would help a client through that situation? Yeah, okay. So the first thing would be we tell ourselves these stories, we make assumptions, right? And so and the assumptions, they just become our mean girl, our inner gremlin, whatever you want to call it. But it just takes you down these rabbit holes of all these what-if situations and shoulds and shouldn't haves. And but at the end of the day, the first thing is to go, well, what do we know to be true? Let's bring it back to fact. Let's bring it back to data. So what's in front of you? What do you know to be true right now, right here, today? And then from that, it's what's within your control. What change can you make or what comment or what can you do that's within your control to help that situation? And for some situations, there might be, there's absolutely nothing within their control that can help the other person or whatever it might be. But it's like, okay, well, what can you do to help yourself right now? So we keep bringing it back to control. What do you need right now so that you feel more settled, so that you feel more at peace? So it might be that we need to bring some mindfulness in. It might be that we need to bring some breathing techniques in. It might be that they need to go outside and ground themselves, take their shoes and socks off and go and stand in some grass and hug a tree. Whatever the thing is for them that they need, that's what you bring in. So you always bring it back to what do you know to be true? So then that removes all the assumptions. The second thing is what's within your control. And if it's outside of your control because it's someone else's problem that's upsetting you, it's like, well, what can you do for you to make you feel better? This is really helpful because those three simple steps actually also keeps you in your own space, not in anyone else's business. From your perspective in your life, your experience, how has this changed your life from now to when you had your bathroom floor moment? Um, I am a much calmer person. <laughs> My daughter calls me chill mum. Um, it takes a lot to get something out of me. And it's not because I don't care. It's just because I'm very understanding and I really don't place judgment on people. Um, but the biggest benefit is that 
I'm able to, I'll have moments, I'll still have big emotional outbursts, but I'll recognise them and I'll go and apologise. I'll go say, sorry, my emotions got the better of me or that I was putting my opinion on what I thought would be best for you and that's not right. Let's talk about it. So I'm able to work my way through things. Sometimes um, it's given me stronger relationships. It's given me um, in my family. My mum the other day was like, oh, your dad's in a huff. Go do your thing. Give him a call. Do your thing. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So become the peacekeeper. But only because I'm not, I'm not actually doing anything. All I'm doing is talking to them and hearing them and giving them space to let their emotion out. And that's what I do. I hold space for people so that they can be who they are. And if that's an emotional person in that moment, they can be an emotional person. People walk into my room here and often they're crying before they even sit in the chair because they feel safe to be able to, to, to let their emotions go. And that's what's really important. And so I think, you know, with your question, the only answer I can give you is that I'm calmer. I'm, I'm, it just brings this inner peace inside of me. Can you imagine, though, if all of us had that calmer, more inner peace, more validated of self feelings and emotions, that everyone's okay to be them, that we don't have to get reactive, that we can just respond. And probably, I don't know if you agree with me, but the greatest resonance of that for me is love and to actually allow someone to be themselves. Isn't that what we all crave from others anyway? Mm, Absolutely. And if you look at it as a mum, is it okay then? Because I'm, I'm imagining listening to this, people would think that maybe you're this incredibly calm, chilled mum guru, kind of able to not get emotional and you're very responsive rather than reactive, right? Is it okay then for us to complain if our children aren't doing the dishes or our husband hasn't put the washing on or like, so uh, give me yeah. a, a bit of perspective around. 100%. And that's, I feel all the emotions. I, just because I'm calm doesn't mean like I don't feel the emotions. <laughs> I will put myself to bed. Um, I'm like, I'm done, guys. I'm out. Um, if stuff at home's frustrating me, I'll actually talk about it. That's the difference. I'll, I communicate what's going on for me. Um, you know, if I've cooked dinner a hundred nights in a row, there'll be a conversation <laughs> because I'm feeling resentful of the fact I've cooked dinner a hundred nights in a row and haven't had a break, right, or whatever it might be. And so I'll feel resentment, but then I'll have that aha moment of, oh, I'm feeling resentment. What's creating that resentment within me right now? Oh, I know. I'm not feeling appreciated because I'm the one cooking dinner and no one's actually getting up to help me and give me a break. So that I go through my own, but it doesn't mean it happens always straight away. It can build up, right? So we're all human. We all feel emotions. It's just that if you take the time to start recognizing what those emotions are and what they're doing within you, why, like what's behind them and then actually taking some action so instead of just sitting there and sitting in resentment and frustration communicate it have a voice our voice is our power so use your voice to express what's going on for you have you seen this work save relationships marriages mother daughter father son whatever work relationships i mean this stuff saves 
so much. Yeah. So much. Do you yeah. have a story or I know you can't tell personal things, but is there a situation that just really lit up your heart to see someone actually go through the process with you, come out the other side, acknowledge who they are, and then actually be a bigger, better version of themselves? Do you have many of those examples? So, so many. Um, one that sticks with me is a timeline therapy one. Um and it was a beautiful gentleman that was going through the process, would, would do one emotion a session, would probably go for half an hour, then he would afterwards go and integrate and do some yoga or some meditation to integrate what he'd learnt within that session about himself so he could then make his plan moving forward because I'm all about that action. But what he had seen therapists for years and he'd learnt how to deal with what he was had gone through But what timeline therapy and what our experience together was, what he came away with was that he actually let it go to the point where he now has relationships with ageing parents that he never had before. He now has a stronger connection to his children that he put walls up with before. It gives me goosebumps because it has literally changed his life because he was able to let go of stuff in his past, it gave him a different future. Well, if that's not inspirational enough, I don't know what is. So many people carry so much pain and anguish. Let's throw in egos. Let's throw in the desire and the determination to be right and make others wrong. Let's throw in the fact that we don't want to be made to feel wrong. When you look at all of that and take and strip all of that away, I just think to have conversations, relationships, and to communicate with other humans with the same amount of love and compassion that we crave, man, that's this is life-changing. Yeah. Yeah. If someone wanted to reach out and get in touch with you and to actually experience this for themselves, beautiful Juliet, can you tell us how we could find you? Um, so the best way is to jump on my website, so julietdye.com. J-U-L-I-E-T-D-Y-E-R.com and book in for a discovery call because, you know, the most important thing is the relationship that you have with whoever you're going to work with. So that discovery call is an opportunity to see if that we resonate, that if I feel like someone that you can open up to and be vulnerable with and if and also it goes the other way, I need to make sure I connect with the people I'm working with. So discovery calls are free. They're an opportunity to chat with me, tell me what's going on for you and to see if um, I'm able, I feel like I can support you on your journey. Um, So that would probably be the best way and um, I wouldn't work with someone unless I've actually spoken to them because you just, and I would suggest that to anyone who's looking for support in their life, don't just sign up to someone you haven't spoken to. Have a conversation with them. Have multiple conversations with them if you need to because that connection, I'm telling you, it's so important. Oh, I tell you, I do imagine that every self-love podcast listener would connect with you very, very easily. <laughs> I, I just want to check in with you. This is the self-love podcast, as I just said, and all of the things that you're saying and the inquiry and the curiosity of who we are, it allows us to really honor, love and care for oneself. I know I've asked you this in our previous podcast, but right here, right now, what is your definition of self-love? I'm going to change my definition to last time because I feel like there is multiple definitions and 
my definition today, self-love is having the courage to look deep within, to look at where there is potential room for growth to increase your life towards self-betterment and to then have the courage to be able to move forward into that. I just got goosebumps. That is just so beautiful and so summarises what we've talked about today. It's about valuing yourself, right? Oh, you know, I've known you for a number of years and to witness what you do for people and to see the beautiful revitalised centre that you created to be in this space, it's awe-inspiring. And you're in Melbourne but I know that you have clients nationally and internationally. That's the beauty of Zoom and being able to connect so beautifully no matter where you are in the world. But really, the courage to look deeply within is one of the most exquisite gifts we could ever bestow on ourselves and perhaps to help our children to do the same. And I want to thank you wholeheartedly for being that person. I am so in awe of what you do and all that you give. I love your posts. I love all the different tools, including beautiful 28 oils. I love what you do in that beautiful revitalized center. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for stepping up out of those bathroom floor moments that pulled you into this direction. And I would love to finish by asking you, beautiful Juliet. What is your favorite quote right now? And perhaps a final message to the Self Love Podcast listener. Um, okay. Well, firstly, thank you so much, Himmy, for having me on here today. It's an absolute honor to be able to spend this time with you. My favorite quote is by Maya Angelou, and it's People will forget what you said, people will forget what you did but people will never forget how you made them feel. And I think that's really in line with what we have been speaking about today because people forget your words, but they'll never forget that that heartfelt connection that you have. My Another piece of advice that was with from my dad was... Um, about allowing your head and your heart to be in alignment. And that fits perfectly with the whole building your emotional intelligence because it brings the head and your heart into whatever your action might be to create change for your life. Okay, covered in goosebumps. It's so simple yet so profound. And I really, really love how you express it and explain it. I want to thank you for being on the show. I really feel the emotional intelligence side of things as we know emotions drive behaviors. And if we don't have intelligence around understanding our emotions, then of course our behaviors are always going to be compromised or a lot of the time they could be compromised. So thank you so much for coming onto the show. I knew you'd explain this beautifully. I've had a number of private questions asking people, how do I know how to act when I feel so volatile or upset or hurt? <laughs> and that is really why I wanted to have you on the show today because so many people, they want to be better versions, Juliet. They want to be better mums, better wives, better husbands, better sons, all of those things. 
But man, those emotions, when they get pushed or triggered or activated, if we don't have these little tools in the background, we can see how they can actually destroy connections, communications and relationships. So thank you. Thank you for being with me today. And also thank you for the work that you do in this world. Thank you so much, Kimmy. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family and head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.